You're listening to To Dine for the Podcast, the Shot Put Media production, presented by MasterCard. Start something priceless. What's better in life than a bottle of wine, great food, and an amazing conversation? My name is Kate Sullivan, and I am the host of To Dine For. I'm a journalist, a foodie, a traveler with an appetite for the stories of people who are hungry for more. Dreamers, visionaries, artists, those who hustle hard in the direction they love. I travel with them to their favorite restaurant to hear how they did it. This show is a toast to them and their American dream. To Dine For the Podcast is brought to you by Terlato Wine Group and American National Insurance. To Dine For the Podcast is brought to you by Angostura. If you've ever made a cocktail at home, you've most likely shaken Angostura bitters into your cocktail at the very end of the cocktail making process. In addition to bitters, Angostura has been making world-class rum for more than 130 years. The next fall cocktail you make, try the beautiful, smooth flavor of Angostura rum. It will transport you to the Caribbean islands of Trinidad and Tobago. The House of Angostura will celebrate its 200-year anniversary of turning drinks into cocktails in 2024. Cheers, everyone. To Dine For the podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. For 115 years, American National has remained committed to helping people and communities make a real difference in their lives. American National supports great local community organizations led by the kind of people you hear about on To Dine For, people who are inspired to make a difference and inspire others in return. American National's philosophy is helping where it's needed helps us all. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write, and the states in which they're licensed, visit americannational.com dine. Welcome to To Dine For The Podcast, where we meet the world's most creative and innovative minds at their favorite restaurant. On today's episode is Francesca Harper. All of our stories are so written in our lives. And dance really, for me, provides that nuance and understanding of those stories without having to use words. If you love dance, you are going to love this podcast. I am interviewing Francesca Harper, who is the artistic director for Ailey 2 of the Alvin Ailey School of Dance. As part of the company's wonderful new era, she is leading Ailey 2 on the first international tour since the shutdown. Guest performances in memoria during Ailey's New York City Center session and a 50th anniversary U.S. tour, culminating with a New York engagement in early 2024. I had the pleasure of interviewing Robert Battle of Alvin Ailey, about a year ago, and it was a really memorable conversation. And I can't wait to dive in to the background of Francesca, as well as her love of dance and her theory and her unique point of view. Please enjoy my conversation with Francesca Harper. How are you, Francesca? It's so nice to meet you. It's great to meet you. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on To Dine for the podcast. Of course. I'm a little starstruck. (laughs) I feel the same way. I feel the same way. You know, it's funny. I had such an amazing conversation with Robert Battle, and he speaks so effusively about you. 
and um, the work that you're doing. So I'm, I'm Oh, thank yes. you for sharing that. That yes. really makes me feel great. Thank you so much. Oh, he is such a fan. So first of all, I always begin the podcast by asking the guest their absolute favorite restaurant. And sometimes it can be where you grew up. Sometimes it can be where you live. It really doesn't matter, but I'm just so curious. If you could take me anywhere, what restaurant would you take me to? Oh my goodness. I have to tell you the first one that comes to mind, well, there are a couple. I mean, there and for different reasons, but the first one that comes to mind for me is Red Rooster in Harlem. Ah, yes. Uh, Yes, I really have a long history there. And I think, you know, I grew up in New York and I grew up in Greenwich Village. Did you really? You grew up in Greenwich Village. I grew up in Greenwich Village. And then I went to school on the Upper East Side. So I think I wasn't exposed to Harlem until I started working with the Dance Theater of Harlem. Mm. And that for me was just a real awakening in so many ways to be in Harlem and to see what a rich neighborhood it is for African-Americans culturally. And it just, you know, it just has this the, this wonderful dynamic um, and the energy there. So Red Rooster was one of the first places I was introduced to. And it really also they have the gospel brunches. Mm-hmm. And so that yes. became a really wonderful experience to bring my friends that would come in, you know, from other towns or family. And we would go have this gospel brunch and just, you know, amazing music and singers. And yeah, I would say Red Rooster for me is the one that really resonates. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting. So growing up in Greenwich Village and then going to school on the Upper East Side and then having that experience of working in Harlem and being a part of the culture, if you had to pinpoint, what was it about your exposure to Harlem that was so defining? I think the real acceptance, I remember this was a wild story, but when I would, when I was dancing with the dancer of Harlem, I would get off the subway and it was a very challenging moment. And, you know, crack was really prevalent and drugs and there were a lot of kind of drug dens and it was a dangerous neighborhood at the time. And I would get off the subway and I would have people from the neighborhood walk me to dance suit of Harlem from the subway. Wow. 145th Street. Oh, yeah. And they were like, oh, come on, ballerina. We got you. Oh, my gosh. And so that for me, I had never experienced that. You know, New Yorkers are very. Yes. (laughs) Myopic and, and, you know, driven. Intense. Yes. Intense. Yes. But New Yorkers care. Yes, they really do. No, no, no. That's right. I mean, and and it's true. I, I, I Alvin Ailey is the same. You know, I really had that sense of caretaking and community, and um, yeah. But it was really that though. That was really a defining moment for me, and that that safety. But but even how you explain that story is really interesting because you are explaining Harlem as a safe place, but also one where you had to be escorted to your, I know, your work. So I know. can you unpack that a little bit? That dichotomy. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know it is. It is ironic. I think, you know, I grew up and my mother was very much an activist and my father was a civil rights lawyer. 
So the reality of that dichotomy and, and the struggle that we have in our community was real. And I understood that growing up. Mm-hmm. So I think being an activist myself and being involved and committed to, you know, empowering others and even education and mentoring, for me, it's it really was a gift to be immersed in Harlem and in at Avenue and, and to have those opportunities to help others. So I think accepting the reality of the dichotomy and the uh, contrast of the two is really something that I, um, you know, accepted and, and understood and understood that I had a place and was kind of my offering. I had something to offer. Yes. Talk mm-hmm. to me about your your very first experiences with dance and how did you know you were on the right path? This wasn't a hobby that this would have been, this would really consume and be your muse through life. Consume is the right word. Yes, <laughs> you're right. Well, I grew up in the dance community, which was really incredible. I, My mom, my mother was a, a dancer. She came to New York to follow her dream to be a dancer. And it was just the two of us. Again, she had this apartment in Greenwich Village on 16th Street. And, uh, you know, she was determined. And and we were very much a part of, you know, it was a struggle growing up. But she was really dedicated to dance. So I would go to the dance studio and I was introduced to dance at a very young age, probably from the time I was two. She actually had her bassinet in. I had me in a bassinet in the studio when she Did was she really? Yeah. She was dancing. She was on scholarship at the Graham School. And then uh, Pearl Lang asked her to join her company, which was uh, she was a dancer with Martha Graham and also the associate artistic director of the Ailey Company, the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater. So my mother was working with Pearl Lang and I was in my bassinet. And so I was, you know, in the studio. It became a part of my identity. And then, you know, she transitioned, realized that it wasn't her calling and she really wanted to teach. Mm -hmm. So then I think Pearl Lang, because she was the associate artistic director of the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater, recommended my mother. And that's how that that love affair started. My mother was a teacher at Alvin Ailey, a Graham, Martha Graham teacher. And then she became the scholarship director. And then she was appointed as director of the school. Mm -hmm. So it was really not only was I immersed in the dance community and watched performers voraciously. I also saw my mother as a director and a leader, which was inspiring as well. She was with Judith Jamison and uh, Sylvia Waters at the time, and Sharon Luckman was the executive director. So there were these incredible, powerful women that were leading the Ailey Charge. So that was my introduction, and but I really fell in love with ballet. And I think my mother had wanted to be a ballerina when she was around 11 or 12 and got discouraged because she didn't see any ballerinas of color. Mm. So that really resonated with me. And I thought, hmm, with my civil rights and the activism that was kind of permeating in my family, I thought that was important. So I started pursuing ballet. It's so interesting because the question I was going to ask you before you mentioned that nugget of your mother is totally different. So what I was going to ask you was, you know, so many people go after their parents' unfulfilled dreams. Mm. So many people. And you have this amazing privilege of seeing a mother go for it. 
Do you know what I mean? Who like, who was all in, who was going after a dream and you were a part of that energy and that possibility. And then, as I said, that was the question I was going to ask. And then you finish what you just said by saying that your mother didn't see any ballerinas of color. And so that's what you did. So much of what we do. Yes. So much of what we do is trying to achieve what our parents could not. Completely. I was just talking to a friend about that this week as well and how, and really how beautiful that kind of cyclical awareness is, you know, and powerful that is. Mm -hmm. It is so powerful. So here you are, you go into your ballet was going to be your thing, right? Separate from your mother who who was going after her big dream of being a dancer. It's really an amazing situation. So obviously you're, you're immersed in this world. It becomes it. What part of all of the world of dance feels most you? Meaning, is it just simply doing ballet? Is it choreographing? Is it artistic directing? What part feels the most Francesca? The people. The people, how so? I love being around people. I mean, I think if I hadn't been a dancer or choreographer or director, I would be, psychology is just fascinating and human behavior for me. I just love being immersed and close to people and that exchange. I love conversation. I love us kind of transforming and motivating and inspiring each other and getting deeper into like understanding our quest as human beings on the planet because of that community aspect and that kind of close relationship, that intimacy. So for me, it's really about people. I remember when I was a young dancer, those were some of the aspects or some of the traits that Alvin Ailey had. It was very, he would walk around in his socks when we were young dancers and he would come and talk to us in the student lounge, ask us how our grades were and, you know, just knew who we all were, cared about us. And so, you know, this home that I really had at Ailey, it set the tone for the way I wanted to kind of navigate my own living in the dance community. And so that's what I try to keep paying forward is like the best that I experienced from these incredible leaders in the field. We'll have more on this conversation in just a minute. But first, thank you to our sponsors. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. To Dine For The Podcast is brought to you by American National offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. There's a funny thing about most insurance commercials, whether they feature lizards or birds or funny cartoon characters. 
it seems like they want you to think about anything but insurance. American National, on the other hand, has real local agents who get to know you so they can help you reach better decisions about your insurance to make sure you're protecting what matters most to you. American National agents are part of your community. They're your neighbors. So whether it's solutions for your home, your small business, your farm, or your life, you can count on your local American National agent to make sure you get the discounts you deserve and the protection you need without paying for extras you don't. With American National, you get an ally, not just a web page. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write in the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com slash dine. To Dine For the Podcast is brought to you by Angostura. If you've ever made a cocktail at home, you've most likely shaken Angostura bitters into your cocktail at the very end of the cocktail making process. In addition to bitters, Angostura has been making world-class rum for more than 130 years. The next fall cocktail you make, try the beautiful, smooth flavor of Angostura rum. It will transport you to the Caribbean islands of Trinidad and Tobago. The House of Angostura will celebrate its 200-year anniversary of turning drinks into cocktails in 2024. Cheers, everyone. Now back to our conversation. In a way, you've had a really privileged walk in the world of dance. I mean, really privileged because dance for so many people is struggle. It's very cliche to see the posters of the ballerinas with their feet, with the toes and the bruising, yes. and the, right? That is like the, the inspiration. But for you, you were born in a dance studio, basically. You were in the bassinet in the studio with your mother. Yes. Has there been any difficulty for you in your path? And how do you help some of the, the young people who are coming up who are experiencing real struggle? Oh, I mean, but I, I will say I, I really I think dance is it's this, it's been a struggle my whole life. I was just talking about the reality now that I don't dance as often and as much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I really recognize how challenging it was. And I knew that at the time. I will say also, we talk about this privilege, but for me, there was a great pressure. There's a great pressure when you're really under the lens and the spotlight. Yes. You know, the fact that I was the daughter of this woman who was in this position, you know, it was brought up very often. I had to work 10 times harder to really show that my work was exemplary. Mm -hmm. And I think that that was something I, I really did so that my work would speak for itself. And I, I really pushed myself to be really strong technically and artistically. Like that was something I committed to so that my work would speak for itself and be undeniably Excellent. So Mm -hmm. that was more of a challenge. Like when we talk about that was something I didn't want to have define me, the fact that I had been immersed in the dance world and that privilege. So I really worked hard and I don't want to toot my own horn, but I won this competition, the, the young arts competition and became a presidential scholar in the arts my senior year in high school and went to dance at the White House. I mean, you know, it was really about my dancing and not about who I was or where I came from. And that I take real pride in. And the challenge was just the day to day. I mean, constant injuries, constant comparison. There were lots of talented people. It didn't matter who I was in the moment in the studio with those people. It was like, who's performing the best? So, I mean, ultimately, although I had some of that privilege, you know, it really came down to the moment and who was really producing in the moments. So 
struggle was real for me too. What did you learn about competition? As you kind of alluded to comparison and oh, yes. the intensity of, especially at that level, yes. what did you learn about how to navigate the world with so many, you don't want to say haters, but but people who want the spot, right? They're, everyone's competing, right? And there's an intensity yes. to that. How do you navigate it? Oh, deep humility. I mean, I think that that was always like, I have to really work now. I have to work to be a little more assertive because my mother was so, she was such a warrior. And I was in that position, like I, I said to you, it I had to be very humble and very soft <laughs> in my, uh, the way I operated. I know it's very interesting. And, and it was really beautiful to really realize and recognize, you know, dance is really communal work. We are a team. Like if we're performing a piece, it's a group of people. So although I had my own work as an independent artist within the context, you know, I was always a part of a team. Right. So that was also like I had to and I was so happy to be in a team of strong dancers. So we were constantly, you know, encouraging each other, you know, especially when we reached a certain level. It was like and we were feeding each other by the excellence. I remember just watching some of my my friends dancing next to me and it was just incredible and an honor to be side by side with these people that were really excellent and it it helped me rise and improve. And so that really was my way of also like spinning all of it to be positive, a positive experience. I mean, I think that's what we have as human beings. We have the opportunity to really shape the lens of how we want to operate and how we see the world. That for me was really to survive it. You have to figure out how you're going to nourish yourself and how you're going to flourish despite the competitive aspects of what we do. Was that something your mother taught you? Was that something yeah. that she, yeah, the positive, spinning things in a positive direction and finding the good? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I do think also we love it. And that's the other side of it, Katie. It's like we really love dancing and there's a, there's a joy and that that's really a privilege, something I realized very early, like to be around people who are passionate. There's an infectious kind of energy that everybody is thriving off of because we all love it. I met with a friend last night who talked about it being my love language. <laughs> I thought that was such a wonderful way of putting it. It is a privilege to be in the world of creativity. If you can make a living doing something creative, I think it's one of the luckiest paths you can take, whatever that looks like. You know, whether it's writing, dance, fill in the blank, even business has so much creativity to it. If you yes. are able to be creative, you, I think, are winning in life, really. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know. I think about, <laughs> no, this is fun. I don't know why this came to mind. But my daughter has always loved cooking. Mm. And I know. And I never, you know, I think because I grew up, my, my mom was such a feminist. I mean, she cooked, but she just cooked because she had to. And she didn't really, <laughs> it wasn't something she prioritized with me or wanted me to prioritize. I think having grown up, you know, in this. It's a different era. Right, yeah. exactly. She didn't want, she didn't want to send daughter. you down the cooking path. I understand. Right, right, yeah. exactly. But my daughter, you know, who is in this woke generation, you know, she's 12 and in the, you know, she's very aware she just loves cooking. She made a three course meal the other day and it was like a work of art. 
caprese sandwiches, roasted chicken, and pavlova dessert. Like, he's like, I'm just going to get in the kitchen. Let's get, wow, let's... bravo, and bravo, I think, that's you know, amazing. Right, that's it, the creativity, you know, and it can manifest itself in, in so many areas of life. Mm-hmm. So many ways, yes. I really want to get to your work with Ailey too. First of yes. all, will you explain to our listeners what is Ailey too and what is your role in it? Oh, yes. Ailey too is the Emerging Professional Development Program that facilitates young dancers transition from the classroom to the professional dance stage. Mm. And it really aligns with Mr. Ailey's goal to propel new generations of artists forward, Mm. you know, and it's really, they're known for merging the best young dance talent with the passion and creative vision of, of uh, today's most uh, also emerging choreographers. And what age are we talking? Do you start with Ellie too? What, what, what are you interested in? It varies. Well, our dancers range from 18 or 19. We have our youngest just turned 19, 19 to 27. Okay. So 19 to 27. And it's sort of a bridge from, you know, being in the world of dance as a young person into the professional world. What part of it do you enjoy the most? The people, though. (laughs) But I really, I do. I just love uh, the development, watching, you know, being a part of the development and watching them kind of acquire new skills, professional skills, being able to kind of hone and Mm. and integrate their identity into the work. Because I think young people are so right. It's really at the beginning of their careers and they don't understand somehow they're always working on improving, but they have these rich lives and rich individualistic traits that are so important in the work. And to see those light bulbs go off and for them to say, oh, right, that my living and my experiences can be an influence on my work in a really powerful way is just incredible. So that's what we work to do is to help them acquire the skills, but also empower them to understand that their artistry takes that imagination and creativity that you and I are talking about and to see them start to layer all of these aspects and skills is really just delightful. Across the board, what is the most common thing that a young person coming into Ailey 2 needs to know or that you see across the board? I wish they knew this. This is what we need to teach them right off the bat. To trust themselves. Mm. Trust themselves. It's very challenging. And really one of the things that's the most challenging is that coming from the school. And so in all that the school needs to do, They really are training the dancers to be strong and compete and be at the top of their field. And when they start performing and touring with Ailey too, they really have to develop their artistry and incorporate the creativity. So they're going from kind of checking themselves out in the mirror and perfecting their lines and technique and and really being more obedient to the teachers, right? And that's obedience is something we don't really need an alien to like yeah. we need them to develop their own opinions yeah. <laughs> make their own choices like yeah. here in alien too. So that's the beginning of them really kind of grasping autonomy and agency over their work. Oh, I love that. It's like the difference between following a script and writing your own. There we go. Yeah. That's right. Yes, absolutely. And Mm -hmm. it's funny, the skills that that make following a script really well probably got them there. 
but then those, right. those, those skills won't take them to the next level. They need to almost abandon those to That's get, right. they already know those. So they can put those aside. Now they need to go to the next level. That's fascinating. No, it really is. And, you know, the more I get into like interviewing these dancers and getting to know them and getting to know a little bit of who they are, it's really they have teachers even before they came to Ailey or see some of the wonderful teachers at Ailey. We have a unique kind of bevy of teachers that have such a wide, they're really talented and have different gifts and different approaches. So some teachers are focusing more on the technique and then some are really helping them utilize their imagination and creativity. So we have such variety and some of the dancers really do have a creative imagination to what they bring. So it's just reminding them that they need to really utilize all that they have learned. You alluded to having Alvin Ailey come and and check in on everyone and ask about their class and really get to know them. What other aspects of Alvin Ailey have you adopted or taken on in the role that you have? Oh, I try to be kind. I think that really for me. I I just really loved that about Alvin. I also, William Forsyth, who I worked with for eight years in the Frankfurt Ballet, he was the director when I danced in Europe, was the same. You know, just really real humanitarians. Mm -hmm. And especially for artists, it's so hard, as you mentioned, and it's so competitive and so intense that to have that balance is really was helpful for me. And I think helped me really be able to create and provide myself with a sense of safety the way Mm. they did. Mm. So I think that that was, that started to live with, within myself and within my body, it started to become embodied and I could carry Mr. Ailey with me, you know, Mm. wherever I went, because I, I knew that all I had learned was really integrated into my being. I remember um, talking to Robert Battle uh, and he said that, you know, dance allows us to express things where words fail. You know, it is a mode of expression that is all on its own. It is very individual. How do you define, you know, what dance can do for the human spirit? I think dance lives in our daily living. I know that, you know, I've, I've analyzed it for many years. And I think even now, we gestures our body language. That's something I noticed when I was a young girl. Like I would watch people in the studio and I could start to read what they weren't saying. (laughs) I know. And so your body and your body language and even gestures, and even when you don't say things, the feelings that you can start to discern. And, you know, that for me is really a gift, that sensitivity to others and sensitivity to expression and sensitivity to conversation even and that empathy that I think develops so strongly in dance and not through words you know our body is like a library of experiences and the more dancers are really taught to analyze all those feelings and figure out how to express it and the qualities and all of that which are very much in our daily lives you know, the things we don't say, the nuance in how we express things to people. That's like, I equate that to the quality of a movement. All of our stories are so written in 
our lives. And dance really, for me, provides that nuance and understanding of those stories without having to use words. Mm, Beautiful. Beautifully said. Can I ask you a question? Has your mother passed? My mom passed in 2010. In 2010. Wow. What a legacy. What a strong woman. I mean, I imagine that her work in teaching also inspired you because now look at you doing this, this very similar work. Yeah, we were very close. We were very close, you know, and the love and our bond was just really deep. Mm-hmm. And so I really admired who she was. She really also evolved as a human being. You know, I think she was so driven and such a, a fighter and warrior in the beginning. And then she really found her spirituality and softened. And we started, you know, having a different kind of relationship when I became a young woman. And it's just, she was really remarkable. And I admire all of the efforts she made to keep improving as a, as a person. Yes. <laughs> as something. Yes. Yeah. That was, that's really it. You know, she just never settled for, mm-hmm. you know, one way or one aspect to who she was. So you probably recognize among so many of your students that intense drive that you need to get there, right? Yeah. Because your, your mother had it mm-hmm. deeply. Yeah, no, I mean, that drive, I respect the drive very much. And sometimes I have to tell people, like I told you, I think one of the differences in growing up with, you know, having access to the dance world in that way, like it vulnerability and that softening for me became a gift for my artistry and for Mm -hmm. my personhood. And so that's, I feel like my own gift that grew up kind of in alignment, but was very much in contrast with her, that drive that she initially had is something that I'm, I'm, I really feel proud to be able to have the dancers like also just be able to be vulnerable in the space. Yes. So, and I think that mm. you know, this, this generation, I'm really, I'm in admiration of that about them understanding that we need the vulnerability, to, yeah. the vulnerability yeah. and to create that's, that safety. That's such a great point. I never think of them in contrast, but they absolutely are. Sometimes the intense drive and the softness and the vulnerability, they are, they butt up and they, you can't have both at the same time. I mean, you can, but it's very difficult. It's very challenging. Yes. yes. So, mm-hmm. so that's been that's been a wonderful gift to be able to have dancers. And I think Alvin's work is so expressive Mm -hmm. and that soft quality, that vulnerability, you think about revelations, it just is radiating from that work. And so I think that that's really important that the dancers also understand that vulnerability and bringing all aspects of who they are to the work is something that they can do. And it's the perfection. I think that that's the challenging part for dancers. It's like they work so hard to train and to kind of achieve these perfect lines. But in actuality, you know, human beings that come to watch dance, they want to understand, they want to see the human experience, which is not always perfect. No, it is not. We have a lot of painful, (laughs) right? We have pain. It is not. (laughs) Right. And Revelations is a great example of like the pain that we feel, but then we rise and transcend through community or we rise. So I think it's that is is a challenging one for young people because they're working so hard to kind of be superheroes. Yeah, technically perfect. Peel back 
Mm-hmm. And have them understand, oh, wait, actually, you have to go out there and feel really weak right now. <laughs> yeah. Wow. You know? Yeah, that it's is. Water, right. Yeah. Yeah. That. Wow. That is a challenge of your work, isn't it? That is a real it challenge. Is. Yeah. Like that sensitivity and to, to see like really watching now with a critical eye and, and the loving, loving, loving critical eye. But like to find those like the nuance, like intention. Okay. Are they coming from the right place? Is, is the approach, you know, starting from the right place? And those nuances are really what I'm starting to refine yes. in my third year, you know, being able to to watch and, and help those details emerge. Where can people see a performance of Ailey 2? And what are you most excited that's on the horizon? Well, it is our 50th anniversary season. Wow. And I'm so excited. I know, you know, Ailey 2 was established in 1974. So it is five decades. It was started, Alvin Ailey appointed Sylvia Waters as the artistic director back then. So we are celebrating 50 years and it's just an honor to be the artistic director of Ailey 2 in this moment. We're traveling, we're doing a robust European tour to um, the UK, to Italy, to Austria and Holland. And then we are also traveling domestically. And then we're going to have our 50th anniversary concert here in New York City at the Joyce Theater in April. So, I mean, we really, it's a really special year and everything you can find all of these, the details around our performances online and our tour at alvinailey.org. Francesca, it's been such a pleasure hearing a little bit of your story um, and the work that you do with Ailey too. And I know a, a lot of our listeners will be interested in attending a performance. So thank you for your time and your thank time. Thank you so much and keep up the wonderful work. Thanks for listening to To Dine For The Podcast. For more information on the show, the guests and the podcast, head to todinefortv.com. You can find us on Instagram at todinefortv and Facebook at todinefor with Kate Sullivan. Thanks to the sponsors of To Dine For The Podcast, American National, and Terlato Wine Group. Special thank you to producer and sound editor John Golner. To the loyal followers of this program, cheers, stay hungry, and stay inspired. I'll see you back at the table soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.